What's going on, podcasting listeners? Episode, I believe, 70 coming yeah. at you. Seven zero. Pretty sure. Probably should have verified that before I hit record, but pretty, pretty sure it's 70. Pretty confident. So, uh, yeah, episode 70. We're almost to 100. I would say we're about 28 to 30 away from 100. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You, like, right on there? Yep. Hmm. Uh, this isn't the first episode we've recorded right before a rainstorm, either. It is. So, if you hear thunder in the background, that's it's not sound effects, people. It's a real lightning and thunderstorm. I haven't brought out the sound effects in a while. It's true. We haven't. Uh, you know we have a good amount of episodes when we can remember multiple times when it's been raining. But we haven't heard any lawnmowers in quite some time. That is true, because we've been recording at night, and you don't cut grass at night. Correct. Didn't so. one of your neighbors move recently? Mm-mm. No? Okay. Never mind. Well, I had one of them move, and that wasn't the grass cutter. Oh, not the grass yeah. cutter, though. Darn. Yeah, he's still there. In well, full swing. Maybe he'll listen at some point. Maybe. Probably not. Uh, and we're recording right before July 4th. Yes. Not on July 4th. It's July 3rd. Will this be released on July 4th? Probably going to be released tonight. Yeah, I didn't think Maybe you'd I'll wait. wait till midnight. Didn't think you could wait till I'll, wait. <laughs> I'll wait till midnight, maybe. <laughs> Just so I can say I did it. Yeah. I don't think we have anything patriotic. You're wearing a blue shirt, and you have red headphones. Yep. It's pretty good. I did that on purpose. I got nothing. Yeah, all black. Uh, Blue blue on my shoes. Okay. Close good enough. enough. All right, good. There's blue in the algorithm that we're going to talk about today. Yes, there is. So there you go. Yeah, uh, maybe people will need to uh, use their inhalers before participating in their outdoor activities. Maybe. You know, if it's exercise-induced. Maybe, or just, you know, get in better shape. <laughs> Could do that. <laughs> just kidding. It's not what we want to think about on July 4th when we're eating our That's true. onion rings and uh, bacon Ooh. cheeseburgers. Yeah, this is the South. Okay, we, yeah. we eat horrible. <laughs> so today, we figured we'd celebrate episode 70. Well, I thought, when really, we were going to celebrate it regardless of what episode it was, but yep. we're going to do the new Agnesma guidelines. Yes, we're trying um, to be current, trying to be on the ball. We have. So, you know, three months after you publish, <laughs> we cover them. <laughs> so, uh, a little late on covering this. We've been talking about doing it for a while. We just keep putting it off for other stuff. So, yeah. I'm going to finally cover it and uh, walk through, because they are quite different than maybe uh, the ones you remember if it's been a minute since you looked at yeah, there's one one major change and you know i kind of like it when there's a big change mm-hmm. from what we've been doing for years and years and years because right. that means that things are improving because we realize that something's better than conventional wisdom i have a feeling it might take a while to change uh but hopefully it will yeah i definitely think uh it's going to take some time though cuz i think yeah, it's going to yeah. throw i think it's going to throw a lot of people off when you kind of first see the multiple the reasons yeah cuz it's it goes it really goes against everything we were taught about controller medications versus maintenance yeah, yeah. for sure but we realized that we haven't done a, a solid asthma podcast so we will be going through the um the we don't think we don't think i i did type it in in the search bar and okay. nothing came up for asthma so but remember i did stop putting in like Oh, yeah. All that accurate of titles, titles after a while. I started just calling it stuff. Darn. So those are really hard to tell what the actual episode is about. I didn't think it you, through. Maybe you called it uh, Coffin Wheeze PRN, Ooh, and it got maybe. nothing to do with asthma. I don't think we have one called that. <laughs> maybe. Well, we are going to go through the uh, foundations of asthma, too, yeah. today. So. We definitely haven't covered this stuff. No, if, we haven't. Even not. if we've covered asthma, we haven't talked about this before. Yes, this is this, this is, is almost brand new. It's not super new to me, or super new to me, just because <laughs> I didn't read the guidelines when they first came out a couple months ago. So I was slack. All right, so asthma. We want to start with some good old background. Yeah, so uh, so what is it? Asthma, it's a disease that affects the bronchi of the lungs. Uh, the uh, pathophysiology is very important because that's essentially what drove these um, new guidelines that we'll talk about near the middle. 
Um, but uh, you have a predisposition for chronic airway inflammation and bronchoconstriction, emphasis on the inflammation. Uh, we did talk a little bit about COPD in episode four. Um, they are not the same, though both lung diseases, um, they are physiologically different, and that's why they're treated almost oppositely. But I guess now not necessarily. Anyways, um, <laughs> but there, you're going to have uh, issues with expiratory airflow. Uh, you're going to have wheezing, breathlessness, chest tightness, coughing, very common in adolescents um, and young children and can be carried into adulthood. Uh, and the intensity varies over time. Uh, a lot of times symptoms can be worse at night or they can actually wake you up, which is uh, part of the criteria for determining how severe the disease is, often triggered by exercise, like going outside on July 4th, uh, also laughter, allergens, and cold air, and uh, they will worsen with viral infections. I said uh, in class when we were kind of going over this stuff to my PA students, I said uh, some stupid joke like, um, I said laughter. I said, so if you have asthma, I encourage your patients to live their lives Solomon down Tron. <laughs> it got like six chuckles, which is about how good that should have done. And somebody started wheezing. <laughs> yeah. I said, Oops, sorry. <laughs> Darn. Offended everyone in the room. But uh, yeah, so the other thing is, is if you look at like a, a lot of definitions of asthma, they talk um, about like a predisposition to chronic airway inflammation and bronchoconstriction. So um, what they mean by predisposition is uh, you have this like hyper um, reactivity to like IgG um, or excuse me, IgE uh, antibodies where you get like this allergic type reaction um, to, you know, various stimuli and you and you get this chronic cascade of inflammation that starts to happen. Um, but there is a genetic component to it as well. And sometimes, um, like Cole said, it's very common in adolescence and sometimes people, um, patients will, will overcome asthma on their own and then stop taking medication as they get older and it just kind of uh, goes away, so to speak. Um, other times it gets worse and becomes more uncontrolled in some cases where we have to switch therapies and you know, we'll kind of go through the actual pharmacotherapy portion of it in a little bit. But um, there's a lot of different um, cytokines and inflammatory mediators at play. Um, the big, a big kind of starter or catalyst of all this is the eosinophils, um, which kind of start this whole immune um, response that ends up causing everything from globulate cell hyperplasia. Um, you get this like um, mucus plug formation that comes from like plasma proteins seeping into the area, then into the lumen. Um, and, you know, they eventually get this thickening of this, uh, this basement membrane um, around the smooth muscle of the bronchioles and, and it, it tightens and becomes more constricted and just gets worse and worse. Um, but ultimately, it start, kind of starts with the eosinophils, and that's one big difference between that and COPD is um, COPD has a lot of uh, um, basophilic involvement versus eosinophilic involvement. So just for kind of food for thought if you're thinking about the pathophysiology. But eosinophils, asthma, and that kind of comes into play when we talk about some of our new like biologics that we use in asthma. Yep. Yeah, a lot of the commercials for the biologics, uh, monoclonal antibodies, it's always, it always has to do with eosinophils. Um, they have to have high units of calcs, I think, to qualify yeah. for it. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of triggers, um, environmental triggers, that can cause these uh, asthma flares and, and the condition to kind of worsen. Um, everything from, you know, our normal allergens we think about, like grass and dust mites, animal dander, all that fun stuff, to uh, obviously tobacco smoke. Um, and that can be secondhand smoke as well, which um, is a problem if a child, for instance, lives in a home where one of the parents smokes. 
Um, and then also uh, certain medications like um, aspirins and NSAIDs, for example, can worsen it, um, which which kind of makes sense. If you think about uh, aspirin, um, NSAIDs, kind of mechanism of action where you're blocking um, the COX-1 and 2 from, um, you know, arachidonic acid being converted into thromboxane and certain prostaglandins. Um, one of the constanoids that's kind of left over is leukotrienes. And so you get this uninhibited or uncompetitive, uh, I guess, formation of leukotrienes when you block thromboxane and prostaglandin production, and that can worsen asthma symptoms. So um, increasing the leukotriene count in the lungs and all that and makes it worse. Which is where we'll see Singular come into play in the uh, treatment algorithm later on. Yep. You know, we mentioned tobacco smoke. You never see uh, vaping in there. I wonder if that's going to come about someday. Probably. You think? If vaping is probably going to end up being like, like, well, we didn't know that you turn into a lizard person. <laughs> we, vape. we didn't, just like now we're like, we gave tobacco to everybody in the 50s and nobody thought anything of it. Now vaping is going to be like, oh, geez. Yeah, especially when it's loaded down with uh, with uh, nicotine. Yeah, the nicotine stuff, like the jewel is like smoking 80 packs of cigarettes in one puff or something. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, I might be a little bit higher than reality, but it's no, a I think lot. it's right on 80. It's right on 80 packs yeah. for one puff. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I definitely, th- I definitely would say that vaping um, is at some point. It might be thirty years from now, and we can pull this podcast and be historically correct. But um, I think it's going to be like, oh shoot! Did we do smoking cessation? I think mm. we did. Right, keep going. I'll find out. I don't remember. Here we go again, having a team meeting right in the middle <laughs> of the podcast. I love it. That's good. That way we don't have to do it later. <laughs> Um, all right, so comorbid conditions also to kind of consider allergic rhinitis, um, very common. Uh, patients have GERD, um, obesity, so encourage patients who are obese, you know, to encourage weight loss. That can help control the uh, asthma symptoms. Uh, patients that have obstructive sleep apnea, um, you know, making sure that that's identified with sleep studies if necessary and getting them on proper uh, treatment like CPAP machine can help with uh, daytime asthma symptoms and, and, well, and nighttime, really. Yep, absolutely. But controlling those environmental factors, key. Yes, yes. Uh, Diagnosing, a little bit different than uh, other disease states. So you've probably seen a trusty spirometer. You may have even experienced it when you were a kid, but it can be uh, asthma. Diagnosis can be confirmed by uh, assessing expiratory airflow limitation with that spirometer. Um, So you're looking at a PEF or a peak expiratory flow, uh, the rate of that flow and uh, comparing it to a uh, average or normal, and then over time comparing it to your normal. Um, there's a few other uh, terms that will come up and um, play a role in asthma and COPD. Um, so uh, one is the FVC, the maximum volume of air exhaled after taking a deep breath in. Um, there's also the FEV1 is probably the one you see more commonly. Uh, the force expiratory volume is the amount of air that can be forcibly exhaled in one second, and they're measured at baseline and post-administration of a Saba um, to test for reversibility. I wonder if that's going to change. Maybe. Saba, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. A little, a little uh, <laughs> preview of what's to yep. come. Yep. Foreshadowing. Oh, by Ooh. the way, episode 28, smoking cessation. You're good. I'm glad you made that list. Yeah. That list is key. We've uh, we've done it all, man. Yeah. We've done it all. Done it all. We can retire left. now. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, we're gonna have to switch to like environmental science and yeah. <laughs> homeopathic medicine. Something stupid. Yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, so, okay, you mentioned um, FEC, FEV1, but um, as far as like what those numbers kind of actually mean, just and we could go into this 
whole episode. But um, if there, if patient has a low FEV1, um, and specifically when it gets like low, like less than 60%, um, the predicted, that's when, even if the patient's not necessarily symptomatic, which they probably will be, um, but that identifies patients that are going to be at risk for having an asthma exacerbation. Um, and also patients that are at risk for declining lung function over time, even if right now they're not having um, symptoms showing that. Um, normal or high FEV1, so if you suspect a patient has asthma and then they come back and the FEV1 is actually higher than you predicted, um, that would prompt you for um, looking for alternative causes, so things like cardiac disease, um, gastro, uh, esophageal reflux, things like that. You're going to start considering if uh, FEV1 is, is elevated. I don't think I said what FVC stands for. That's the one where uh, it's the maximum volume of air exhaled after taking a deep breath. It's forced vital capacity. Yes. So taking one deep breath in, how much you can actually uh, um, exhale after that full yeah. full like, full breath. Like a like a like a volume, like how much air actually comes out where the FEV one is over a period of time. Yeah, and then you can even take FEV one over FVC and get a percentage. Yeah, and that kind of gives you whether. Or not, it's a uh, like restrictive versus obstructive type scenario. And it can be good to know in an acute situation, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about that. And you go, you create an action plan with your patients mm-hmm. to determine whether they need to go to the ER or not. Um, though, when assessing symptoms in the stepwise treatment, I guess, I guess it's more it's more symptom based. It's more clinical than looking at this. But I guess you can still take it into account. Yeah. Um, did you already go through the peak flow no. meter? Okay. So a peak flow meter um, is a device that looks like a, uh, how would you even describe this for people who haven't seen them? Hopefully you've seen them it's before. It's like a kazoo. Was, yeah, there you go. Kazoo. It's like a like kazoo. A giant thick kazoo. With a little um, handhold on the bottom. Yes. Yep. Looks like a, like a clip from like a machine yeah. gun. Yes. Yes. On like, the bottom of a kazoo. Like you just loaded it up. Yes. <laughs> Um, that's a stupid example. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we have a way with words, Mike. Oh my gosh. I'm so good at them. We, we have mastered the I media s- of audio <laughs> and, um, mastered it. We've mastered it. We, we can just paint a picture. Yeah. I think we're, we're losing listeners every episode. <laughs> um, okay. So the peak flow meter, if, if you look at, uh, it basically has several different numbers on it, um, in increments of usually hundred or fifties, um, and the patient will come up with their personal best, usually over like the first two weeks or so. There's different strategies on how to develop this, but a couple of weeks you kind of um, use usually one to three times, take your best number, and that becomes your personal best that you can kind of um, set as a baseline. So the person would do this when obviously their asthma symptoms are controlled. You wouldn't do this when they're having an exacerbation or anything. So they're controlled, you get a baseline, and then that's what you use as a marker to kind of see as time progresses if the person is still well controlled or if it's um getting worse or having a potential exacerbation so when they call like the green zone a lot of times this is um kind of illustrated with the use of a traffic light so they'll have like green yellow and red you know just like a traffic light um so green light green zone is 80 to 100 percent of your personal best then you have good control yellow zone is 50 to 80 percent of your personal best which means kind of like you want to use some caution you may be um, having an exacerbation and that's when usually the action plan kind of starts and we'll go into a couple examples of action plans but um, then the red zone would be less than 50 percent of your personal best and that means like you absolutely need to start your action plan you need to talk to your provider let them know what's going on a lot of times the uh, at this point you know you may have some like oral steroids at home that you can start um, 
but uh, that means you're most likely having a, a acute asthma flare. So they kind of keep one of these pretty cheap. I think they're like 10, 15 bucks, um, maybe a little bit more. The spirometer? No, the uh, peak flow. I'm sorry, the peak flow. Yeah, yes. something like that. So um, spirometer, I would imagine, is much more. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, so you can uh, keep that at home, use that for tracking your asthma symptoms. Yep. Update you. I'm sure there's an app you can update to social media, show everyone how great your peak flow meter blowing skills are. Yep. Every day I'd wake up and I'd try to set for 105% of my personal you goal. You want to push it through the I end would. of the... I'd be like, see? Yeah, just, I'm curing my just own get, asthma. Get better every single day. <laughs> What's that expression? 1% better every day. So after 100 days, you're like 100%. You're, you're amazing. Twice as good as you were. Yeah. That's all it takes. So that's a good way to, to get a little visual of uh, where your lung your uh, lung function at is at any given time. But you want to determine uh, over the course of months how a patient is doing clinically and whether you need to step up their therapy or not Um, there's many ways to determine this um and there's there's some rules of thumb there's multiple scores so gina uh, the global initiative for asthma has um something that they use that involves uh, daytime symptoms being greater than two a week um, asthma related night waking how often you're using your rescue inhaler or your daily activities Limited by your asthma, um, those are those are things they take into account to determine whether you need to step up therapy. Uh, there's also a rule of thumb, like if a patient is refilling their um, rescue inhaler twice a year, you would consider their asthma uncontrolled. It doesn't always work out that way, but if you consider how many puffs are in an inhaler, and then if they're using two of those throughout the course of the year, then they're probably using that more often than they need to, especially if they have a controller on board. Uh, but we'll we're, we'll talk about the new uh, rescue inhaler that is recommended. But yeah, there's multiple ways to look at this, and it, it basically just has to do with their clinical signs and symptoms of whether you want to step up therapy, and you kind of follow up every two to three months-ish or uh, as clinical symptoms warrant. Yep, yep. So you want to get into uh, the actual treatment options? You want to do it now? Let's do it. I'm ready for the unveiling. Yeah, this, this is it. This is what everybody's been waiting for. They're like, yeah. guys, we heard about this in May. Okay, this is no big yeah. deal. Uh, Medscape came out this like a second after it was released. They, they emailed it to me, and we, we don't even need to listen to this podcast yeah. anymore. And they turn it off and listen to something better. But we're going to give you some extra information. Um, so uh, pretty much for the last 50 years or however long the Sabas have been around, a treatment of asthma, asthma has been around. Um, the the short-acting beta agonists like albuterol is uh, most common in America. There's others like terbutaline um, are recommended for uh, short-term relief of symptoms in asthma. So as a kid, a lot of you guys, when you were diagnosed with asthma, you were given one of these, and this is what you use whenever you're having symptoms or if you had exercise-induced asthma. Um, so asthma is primarily an inflammatory disease um, as, a pl- as, as opposed to bronchoconstriction, even though that is involved. Um, which is why ICSs are uh, early on in the treatment algorithm, uh, the steroids, because they decrease the inflammation and it helps with asthma as opposed to COPD, which is a little bit different. Um, so why only give a beta agonist um, to increase bronchodilation in this situation um, when there's a lot of inflammation going on? So there uh, were a couple of studies that were done, um, three to be exact, that this new recommendation from Gina is based on. Um, and we'll kind of talk about them as we go, but... Um, the first two are the sigma trials, um, and they stand for, hold on, I wanted to be able to tell you, uh, but I think it's Symbacort, uh, let's see, oh, well, I'll come up with it in a second. Sigma 1 and Sigma 2 trials 
basically comparing um, short-acting beta agonists to an ICS LABA. That LABA specifically is for Motorol. And also comparing that to a twice-daily scheduled ICS plus SABA. Uh, essentially what they found was the ICS LABA PRN uh, was superior to a SABA PRN and non-inferior to the scheduled um, ICS plus SABA. Uh, so what does that mean? They took these uh, sigma trials. The uh, other one was the novel start trial, which basically showed the same thing. Uh, and they are now recommending ICS LABA PRN over SABA monotherapy um, PRN in asthma patients. Right. Yes. Long way of saying that that's the first step now. Yes. So um, Simbacort is a good example. Simbacort uh, is a good example, yeah. Um, and uh, I looked down at the uh, algorithm when you were talking, so I kind of zoned out for a second. <laughs> did, at full disclosure, did um, did you mention Formoterol specifically? Yeah, so it's Formoterol specifically, um, and that has to do with the onset of action. So that that's yes. how it was studied, was Formoterol. Formoterol has an onset of action in asthma of about three minutes, three to five minutes, which is very similar to um, albuterol mm -hmm. or terbutaline. Um, so I was thinking like, Hey, maybe, uh, Adver just went generic, right? So that's pretty cool. That's an ICS LABA. Maybe we can just use that. But salmeterol's onset of action is like 30 minutes, 30 to 48 minutes. So a concern among patients, um, when I, I was looking at some forums with this new recommendation was that they wouldn't get um, adequate symptom relief if they're having an attack or they're having wheezing and issues. <clears throat> but it looks like if you're using formoterol, which would be Simicort, it would also be uh, Dulera contains formoterol. Um, both of those options would be okay because they would work fast enough. Yes. So just like Cole said, um, you know, th this is, com th this has been compared to what we've always used. Um, you know, the, the Saba is a as needed short acting. But, um, if you think about the combo itself as well, cause you know, when I first heard this, I'm like, why do we even need the Formoterol? Why wouldn't we just use the ICS? Cause one of the benefits to doing it this way and using as needed is you really limit how much, um, exposure to steroids the patient gets. Yes. But if we think about the, in asthma patients, um, the black box warning that we see with um, a long-acting beta agonist by itself. So if you were to look look at um, Silmeterol or uh, Cerevent, I believe is the brand name, the Cerevent Discus by itself, um, it has a black box warning that says you cannot use this in asthma patients without a inhaled corticosteroid. Um, if you use it by itself, it's going to increase your chances of asthma-related death. Um, and the reason for that is because the longer you use a quote-unquote long-acting beta agonist, you're going to downregulate those beta receptors. Um, well, when they studied, uh, and that was first kind of brought up in the SMART trial, which is uh, was done back in like 2006, maybe. Um, and that was uh, what kind of sparked the, the FDA putting that black box warning on there. Fast forward 10 years, um, you have some studies that have looked at um, the use of long-acting beta agonists along with ICS to see if they actually had this risk when you use the combo. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a few studies that looked at that. One um, study we looked at it in children four to eleven, which was the uh, Vestry trial, and then Austri was eleven or twelve and older. Um, they didn't see any difference between the lab ICS combo versus ICS. And so, like one of the theories was that the steroid is actually upregulating those beta receptors again, so that the the long acting beta agonist would work better, would be able to bind more effectively, and at the same time, the beta agonist is actually um, causing a 
increase in the anti-inflammatory mediators that are brought on by um, steroids by basically enhancing the transcription of those mediators. So they both enhance each other um, while they're in the system. And so if you think about it's an inflammation disorder, just like Cole is saying, um, you're giving the steroid uh, over time, which is why it's decreasing the inflammation. But then if you give it with the beta agonist, you're basically enhancing the effects of that as well as bronchodilating. Yep. And not only that, in these couple of trials that I was talking about, when they compared it to the scheduled ICS with Saba PRN, um, the um, ICS LABA combination required lower doses of steroids, which you mentioned. So there's less of a steroid burden overall, um, and had was non inferior. And when I say that it was superior to Saba PRN or non inferior, uh, they're mostly looking at exacerbations. Uh, so even so, the majority of patients, especially kids, have are, are diagnosed with mild asthma, about seventy five percent. However, patients with mild asthma can experience severe exacerbations and even death from that. Um, and severe exacerbations represent about 30 to 40% of asthma exacerbations overall, leading to emergency care, even in those with mild asthma. Um, so even if it doesn't seem particularly severe, uh, they can, it can still be serious when they have an attack. Also, uh, for patients with mild asthma, there's a big concern in the guidelines for um, ICS monotherapy uh, because patients aren't very adherent, especially if they only have one or two attacks per month. So they have trouble getting patients adherent on a daily ICS regimen, so they just end up using their Saba PRN. Um, so using the ICS Lava PRN helps out a little bit with that issue because you're getting what you need when you use it. Um, also, the Sigma trial, it stands for uh, Symbacort given as needed in mild asthma. I really wanted to say that because I think it's interesting. And then the Novel Start trial stood for Novel Symbacort Turbuhaler Asthma Reliever Therapy. I thought that was really dumb. By AstraZeneca, who's the maker of Simicord, so I want to share that as well. Oh, little uh, shout out to AstraZeneca. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, please never sponsor us. But the the study is interesting, and you know, ultimately, another thing about so we want to reduce the burden of steroids. Also, Sabas it, they give short term relief, but there are some studies showing that in the long term they actually increase risk for severe exacerbations or increase risk for um, asthma to worsen over time, and that's not what we want. So. Uh, where and there wasn't really great evidence for sabas in the first place. Mm -hmm. It was like when they started using them, it was just that hey, when we inhale this sucker, uh, we feel a little better now, and that's kind of how it went for a long time. It, there's it's more nuanced than that. That but. used to be the guidelines. Yeah, inhale this sucker. Inhale this sucker, and you'll feel better. Yep. Yep. I remember the advertisement like it was yesterday. Like 1956. <laughs> that's how they did it back then. <laughs> they had the best drug advertisements back then. Do you want to feel amazing? Cocaine, <laughs> 1930. Rub some morphine on your baby's gums. Yeah, They're going to feel it's great. crazy. Yeah. Um, Dr. Word has an amazing collection of all those things from like early 1900s and 1800s. Really? Yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, I bet he does. A bunch of them. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, so that's the big change. And I think, so one of the reasons why we were joking earlier is, you know, I think this is going to throw a lot of people off. Um, for the pharmacists that are listening, I'm glad that you are listening. You're aware this is new data. Because yes. if you get a prescription from a pulmonologist and it says, hey, I want you to use Simpacor as needed, and you're like, dumb, mm -hmm. and you call, now you don't need to call and waste your time or look like you don't know what's going on in pharmacotherapy nowadays. So it can't, the, I mean, because this is strange, it's going to look really weird because this is supposed to be a once-a-day medication. That's what we all learned, mm -hmm. or twice a day. Um, but it's essentially a controller medication. But it can be used as often as a Saba can be used. So 2 plus every 4 to 6 or however they're doing it. Um, that can be done. 
I haven't seen a single prescription for this yet. Um, it's probably going to take some time. One big issue that you're all probably screaming at us for is that it's going to be really expensive. Very true. Um, a Formoterol ICS combo runs around an average of about 300 bucks and is almost definitely not going to be preferred by payers because right now this is an off-label use by using a PRM. Um, also, the Advair disc is generic, or the Advair disc is just one generic. And um, so they're probably going to be like, hey, why don't you use this? And the doctor's going to be like, because you can't use this PRM. And if you do see that PRM, that'd be a good reason to call. Whereas um, I've got to imagine that the ProAir and Ventolin, um guys are just like sitting in their boardrooms laughing their heads off because their patent just ran out. Uh-huh. So those just went generic in the last six months. And now those generic manufacturers are going to get screwed because they're not going to be using as many Sabas and Asba anymore. But realistically speaking, these the, guidelines came out three months ago. So we were talking about... 20 years? 2036 before yeah. anybody starts like following these things or like realizes yeah. there's new guidelines. Yeah, but the so the albuterol generics now are running like 35 bucks. The, COVID, you know, the payment might still be like 50-ish or whatever, but they're way cheaper. The ICSs still aren't necessarily cheap. They're like average-ish around 175 bucks. So, um, yeah, you probably won't see a whole lot of Simbacore PRN just yet, but uh, it could come. I, and I think the manufacturer still has like a discount card as well. It's like a copay assistance card Simbacor? for those of you who don't have yeah, oh, patients that have um, commercial insurance can use right. it. Um, so that might be something to consider. But the other thing is if it is PRN, um, hopefully the patient wasn't using their Saba around the clock two puffs every six hours or whatever right um so maybe if they're actually somewhat controlled and it truly is mild asthma they may only be using simpacort you know twice three times a week exactly and then that simpacort might be expensive but it lasts a really long time exactly and works better so this they're now using this as their rescue medication so that brings us back to the algorithm the step one um they they kind of they split it between the preferred reliever or rescue inhaler and the preferred controller so in step one mild asthma, the ICS LABA, or the ICS for Motorol, I should say, PRN kind of serves as both. It's the preferred rescue inhaler, but it's also the preferred controller inhaler because that is considered control over time. Um, they do ha- give other options. So for cost, if you need to, you can also use a SAB by itself. They're still saying that's, that's all right. It's just not preferred. Um, you can also use a low-dose ICS whenever the patient uses a Saba. So that would be more like if you are if you think they need a controller medication as well. Um, you can use an ICS Saba, um, almost like PRN. So whenever they're taking the Saba, use the ICS as well because they want to get that steroid in there to decrease the inflammation. Uh, so that is step one. Step two. Is that what's next? It is. <laughs> Good. So uh, step two, uh, you need a little bit better control, and that's where we move on to daily, specifically low-dose inhaled corticosteroids. Um, you can also use the as-needed ICS for Motorol as well um, at this step, but they do prefer the daily low-dose inhaled. Um, if you need to step up, because hopefully yeah. you were already using right. the PRN ICS for Motorol. That's the idea. Exactly. Um, and then as the preferred reliever, that's where the ICS from Motorola kind of comes into play. So you could, I guess, essentially do for a controller, like a low-dose inhaled corticosteroid, and then you could also 
have that uh, like Simbacore combo for as needed relief if you wanted to instead of a Saba. Yes, yeah, so that's very interesting. So when you hit that step, so step three and you're using a, or whichever step you were at when you're using the daily ICS Lava, mm-hmm. that's when the average generics and all that stuff come back into play because you're using that consistently. But along on top of that, you can still use the as needed ICS mm-hmm. Promoterol. So you can have two ICS Lavas in your hand. Right. And that's all right. So that comes up as a drug interaction and you're like, what in the world? You're duplicating therapy but you can use a PRN. Right. Very and, interesting. And to be clear too, step two is daily inhale corticosteroids by itself, low yes. dose. Step three is when you do the ICS lava daily. Yes. Um, but yeah, just like Cole said. The other option would be uh, if you didn't want to use low dose inhaled corticosteroids, so let's say they're on the Simpacort as needed, you could do a daily leukotriene antagonist, so like um, Singular. You could do that uh daily it's your controller and then do the simbacore as needed for relief and we talked about that a little bit in allergic rhinitis so this is that situation where it'd be generally appropriate to kill two birds try to get some allergies out of the way and um, also help their asthma yeah and in fact if with allergic rhinitis that's about the only really good use for leuko trying receptor antagonists would be if the person also has asthma because it's not really that effective compared to inhaled nasal steroids and all that yep um, so step three, Cole, you already said the, uh, daily ICS lava, the Ivair, Brio, all those fun ones. Um, and then if that doesn't work, you could also step up or, if, you know, you didn't want to be on daily, um, Advair or something. You can step up from low dose steroids up to medium dose steroids as well. And so you're just increasing, um, the potency. Yeah, and at this point, you definitely want to assess adherence, especially mm-hmm. to their daily medication. Um, the guidelines talk a little bit about how they they don't really see a great need for more than a low-dose ICS, like moving up to a medium dose, because it can increase that steroid burden, and they feel like a lot of people can be controlled on those low-dose ICSs if everything's going right. Um, so definitely assess adherence before stepping up to the medium dose and also before going to step five with the high doses and other things like that. The guidelines actually not only touch on adherence, but also administration technique. Yes. So they actually give step-by-step and that like recommendations for how to assess someone's ability to actually administer their own inhaler. Um, and I've seen this where they, they somebody has a Respimat inhaler that the cartridge that you put in the bottom uh, isn't actually in all the way. So when you twist the bottom to actually load the dose, it's not. It's just kind of getting stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've seen where the Brio, you open the container of the ellipta and it just kind of like you the powder spills out because the person tilted all the way and there's lots of things that can happen um the patient needs a spacer because they're not able to time you know the meter dose inhaler with uh, the um the hfa inhaler with a uh you know with the propellant in it yeah with the breath with the with their breath yeah um so there's lots of things but make sure that you're assessing that and if you can get some demo devices and all that to show patients exactly how to do this Speaking of administration technique, you know how they always talk about in school with the injectables that, that you know, they've heard of patients uh, not removing the actual cap from the needle before injecting their insulin or their um, GLP-1 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Seen it three times. Really? I had them demonstrate and they didn't take the needle cap off. They're like, it's just dripping down my stomach. I don't know what's going on. I don't think I'm using it right. Or I can't push the button or something. Just not take the cap wow. off the needle. Yeah. I saw a guy uh, show me how to take his um, Spiriva inhaler the, the handy healer mm-hmm. and uh, one time tossed the capsule back in his mouth <laughs> before he went to uh, there you go i was like well there that goes 
Yeah. So what was he doing with the button on the side? Just pushing it. Just like there's med- like there's medicine in there. Yep. I was like, oh no, <laughs> you're gonna have the most dilated eyes later. I had a lady come and pick up three boxes of Bidurion. She told me it was new for, her. and I was like, okay, so like, what did they show you at the doctor's office? What did they tell you about it? She was like, nothing. I was like, okay, so this is a pin, and she heard she got like wide eyed. I was like, did they did they tell you this was a pin? She's like, no. I was like, did they tell you it's an injectable? No, they didn't tell me. Anything. I was like, they didn't tell you anything about this. Like, you just got three months worth of this, and you have no idea what's going on with it. Fascinating to me. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it does. Well, not only that, there you know, there's there's times where a new inhaler comes out, like when the Qvar. Yeah. When it came out that new device, finally. Yeah. That's what we needed. Um, ready inhaler, whatever. The ready inhaler doesn't need a spacer, yeah. whereas the old Qvar did. So we had pediatricians' offices. I've heard when I was still working in the community pharmacy, pediatrician office saying they absolutely had to have a space with the ready inhaler. And when we said no, they're like, nope, it has to because they're going off to the old Qvar. Didn't even right. realize there was a new inhaler. Yeah, gotta keep up with stuff, guys. Gotta keep up. So with important. It. Now, I'm not gonna act like I keep up with everything in the world, but um, gotta man. keep up with it. Yeah, if you're gonna pursue, I'd say if you're gonna. Pur- I mean, you could also. Argue if you're going to dispense it that you need to know about it too. Yeah, but I would definitely argue that. Definitely if you're going to prescribe it. Um, yeah, both ways. Everybody should know about it. Yeah. That's what we want. Quick plan and learn. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so yeah, moving on to step five. Uh, that's where you would look into increasing the dose of the ICS, but still sticking with the LABA. Also important counseling point we didn't mention. You're going to, if you're taking these recommendations, uh, definitely make sure your patients are rinsing their mouth after use because that's yes. what the ICS um, to prevent thrush. And with the SABA PRN, you didn't really need to do that. Um, so yeah, step five, high dose ICS, or, um, you're adding on other things. So this is where you get more pulmonology specific, uh, looking into like teotropium, which is usually used in COPD, but, um, might be an add on, might be looking at, um, anti IgE, uh, anti IL4R. Um, these are the recommendations that they're giving. And I think these are like, um, when you're looking at those monoclonal antibodies, injectables, those sort of things, getting that's pretty bad asthma. Yeah. So, real quick, kind of going through the teotropium now. The reason why we like that so much in COPD is because it's anti-muscarinic, um, specifically targets three and one, I believe. Um, the the thing about teotropium in in COPD is we know it's a we have this like overproduction of mucus in the lungs and so the the drying you know the anticholinergic effects this drying effect of teotropium makes complete sense in COPD um it's saved in asthma because it's more inflammation we need that ICS um to control the um inflammation however there is mucus production and um they, that happens and can make the inflammation kind of just, or I guess, compound the um, the effects of the inflammation. And so uh, it, this does make sense to add this in more severe patients once you've already taken care of some of the uh, inflammation components. But that's why in COPD, it's like first line in asthma. It's more of our last line um, inhaled drug. Um, and then like Cole said, um, the other agents that you can use, like the monoclonal antibody, the, the most common, or I guess the oldest one that we've had is the Zolaire. Um, that is a monoclonal antibody that it specifically inhibits IgE binding um, of uh, on mast cells and basophils. And so um, this is going to be indicated for patients that have moderate to really severe persistent um, asthma that have also had a skin test to an allergen that is positive. So you need to have an allergic component to their asthma in order to actually qualify 
for using Zolaire. Um, it has a black box warning that uh, says because it's given subcutaneously, it can actually um, cause anaphylaxis. So it needs to be given in a healthcare setting under medical supervision where they can treat anaphylaxis if necessary. Um, there is a slight increase um, in cardiovascular events with uh, this drug that has been noticed, um, but usually adverse effects, we're thinking of things like injection site reactions, dizziness, fatigue. Um, and then the dose, there's a whole bunch of different doses, and basically you look at the patient's weight um, as well as their IgE levels, usually between 30 to 700 units per ml um, is where we would be seeing you know, patient needs, and then we would, um, from there, indicate the dose, uh, or calculate the dose, rather, based on those, those two numbers. Um, but we also have, uh, Cole said, um, some of the other, like, interleukin-5 uh, receptor antagonists. Um, that's going to be more for patients that have eosinophilic phenotype asthma. Um, so patients that have uh, eosinophil counts above 300 microliters. Um, those are the ones that are going to be candidates potentially for these interleukin-5. Um, so expensive drugs, all of them are injectables, um, usually done in a clinic setting. Um, so not the most... Uh, convenient for you know quality of life but um they can be effective if a patient uh is asthma is bad enough yeah i should also mention that um and i think the novel start trial when they were when they were directly comparing the ics for motorol to the budesonide saba um, they did see a decrease in exacerbations uh, with the ics laba but they didn't see an improvement in uh, quality of life um I guess probably because they're treating symptoms as opposed to preventing symptoms, but you still get that lesser ICS burden over the long term. Yep. Um, the other thing I want to make sure we mention is the algorithm that we were discussing is 12 years and up. Yes. So this is not for those PD pediatrics. Yes. Six to 11, you get a different algorithm. Zero to five, you get a different algorithm. Yes. You know, my, um, my wife's cousin just moved to moved to the city, and he's he just finished his pediatric residency. Oh yeah, maybe I can convince him to come on here and do a peds episode because we be never cool. do peds. Yeah, no, not good at peds. No, we need somebody else to talk about it. We definitely do. Um, one other thing to mention is step down treatment. So, patients been on meet let's say medium dose ICS for a while. Um, the guidelines do reference if they've been controlled for a while, they've uh, maintain that for at least three months, then start to step down therapy and find the the lowest treatment option that still controls their symptoms and keeps them from having exacerbations. Um, and this is a way to minimize adverse effects over time and uh, steroid exposure and all that. So they want you to kind of document baseline status as you begin to step down uh, and then give them a, a written asthma action plan. So if something does start to have flare up, they had they know exactly what to do and when to call you. And then you can decrease the ICS dose by 25 to 50% um, at two to three month intervals until you find that, that sweet spot again. Yep. And uh, within that, we talked about making sure they use it correctly. The guidelines really emphasize this. They say that most patients, up to 80%, cannot use their inhaler correctly. Yep. And at least 50% of adults and children do not take their control of medications as prescribed. And this poor adherence contributes to poor symptom control, more exacerbations, all that stuff. Um, I recommend going to uh, page 26 of the Gina Pocket Guide. And uh, they have this uh, choose, check, correct, confirm, and uh, essentially just a good guide on how to make sure your patients are being adherent with their inhalers. Yep. 
Yeah, Gina Pocky guy. We'll put a uh, link to it. Yeah, great. In the show notes. What else, man? I guess we won't go through all the different types of inhalers. That's more of a visual thing as far as meter yeah. dose and dry powder, nebulizer. They're all different sorts. You've probably seen them. Yeah. Check, uh, maybe we'll come up with an Instagram post for that. Yeah, that'd be good. I think I have a video somewhere on Instagram. Oh, you an do? An old one. I need to ask you also where you get all of your uh, uh, demo devices too because I need to get my hands on some I just call things. the drug company. Just call them and tell them to send them to you? I'm like, yo. I'm, I'm send a, them my way. I'm a doctor. Send them to me. I'm, basi- I'm, a, I'm like a doctor, basically. <laughs> I'm basically a doctor. <laughs> just give me some demos. Just give me some demos for free. Because that lady needed the Bidurion. I turned around. I was like, where's our Bidurion demo? They're like, we don't have one, you idiot. I'm like, oh, Ooh, great. That's, a, that's how your text talk to you? <laughs> yeah. That's harsh. No, they don't. They're that's all, cool. They're all respectful. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I just call the companies, ask them. They're usually pretty cool about it. Okay, good. I need to start doing that. Get on the horn. <laughs> Exactly. Old, old, old like rotary phone. Yeah. <laughs> hey, see, I need some, uh, need need some, some demos. Inhalers. They're like, who are who is this? <laughs> Anyways, all right. Thank you guys so much for uh, the continued support and continued listening. Um, thank you guys so much for the ratings on iTunes and uh, you know the questions, the emails, all that. I, I feel like we've done a fairly good job of answering everybody back. I think so. Maybe some have slipped the cracks. So if you're thinking yeah you never answered me you're kind of a jerk sorry i didn't mean to i'll try my best hit me up again and i I think we got everybody and uh if you guys have any questions suggestions for a show anything like that make sure that you let us know send us an email Uh, both of our emails will be in the show notes or hit us up on any of the social media platforms and uh, we'll get back to you as quick as we can and we will see you guys next time thank you